This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zondi. We are coming to you live on 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band if you are in Southern Africa. You can stream us on channelafrica.co.za. I'm with Ona Lenzinzi, Tracy Bumgard and Nedo Chemane. Your top stories. Kenya is under what seems to be a terrorist attack. Zimbabwe continues to be on fire as the authorities shut down the internet. In economic news, Nissan to file a civil suit against its ousted chairperson, Carlos Goshen, to claim for damages resulting from alleged misuse of the company funds. And in sports, a former managing director of ESPN Star Sports appointed as ICC's new chief executive. Here's on Lentinti. Thank you, Spoo. The desert hotel complex in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, has come under attack. Two explosions and gunfire were heard, with vehicles on fire and people being evacuated. Witnesses say they saw armed men entering the complex before the explosion. Sarah Kimani has the latest. Initially, other people saying that uh, they heard uh, as the attackers came in, uh, hurling grenades into the hotel, uh, so scaring away the security officers, and then beginning to shoot. What we know for sure is that uh, the six B2 hotel in the capital Nairobi is under attack right now. What we can hear is gunfire. We can see a, a huge cloud of smoke blowing from the hotel, and also we can see a huge fire just at the entrance of the hotel. Furthermore, police teams have been dispatched to the scene where the incident is is with at least one fatality. Sarah Kimani explains further. We still do not have uh, any figure of casualties, but I saw at least three people are being evacuated from the hotel. One of them uh, had a wound on the face. It looked like a, a, a something and uh, he was screaming. Then we have, uh, I saw to a couple, uh, I suspect they were here on honeymoon, uh, holding on to the rosary. They had just been evacuated. And when I spoke to the young man, he said all he thought is that it was a terrorist attack and that he thinks the hotel is under attack. We still do not know the casualties or any fatalities from that hotel. The International Criminal Court has acquitted former Ivory Coast President Lauren Gbagbo over post-electoral violence in the West African nation in a stunning blow to the war crimes tribunal in The Hague. Judges have ordered the immediate release of the 73-year-old depot strongman, the first head of state to stand trial at the troubled ICC. Gbagbo faced four charges of crimes against humanity over the 2010-2011 bloodshed in which around 3,000 people were killed. The release was suspended until Wednesday to give the prosecution time to respond to the shock judgment. 
Massive looting and chaos has been reported in Zimbabwe as angry protesters react to the fuel price hike in the capital Harare and Bulawayo. The main office of Zimbabwe's opposition party MDC was touched. Photos show security gates broken down, windows smashed and debris on the floor. Several people have been killed and hundreds arrested following protests which have entered their second day. Social media platforms have also been blocked and businesses have closed as police patrol the streets. The BBC's Andrew Harding reports. Across Zimbabwe, many shops, schools and businesses remain closed. There are reports of looting and of violent clashes. There are also signs that mobile phone and internet access has been restricted. Zimbabwe's government has blamed the opposition and human rights organisations for orchestrating street violence. But many people insist the protests are a spontaneous response to rising prices, a currency crisis and deepening economic hardship. And lastly, Gabon's Ali Bongo is back in Libreville after months abroad recovering from a stroke, ending an absence that has spurred political turbulence. Returning from Morocco in the early hours of the morning, Bongo proceeded over a ceremony at which ministers from the new government were sworn in. Gabon has been without an effective government for months since Bongo suffered the stroke in late October during a visit to Saudi Arabia. His return came eight days after a small group of renegade soldiers briefly tried to stage a coup before it was crushed by the security forces. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelinsinsi. Thank you very much, Anna Ladies. 17.05 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, as we give you news from an African perspective. Let's start with a developing story from Kenya. An upscale hotel complex in Nairobi is under attack with a blast and heavy gunfire. Witnesses and police at the scene are calling it a terror attack. The complex in Nairobi includes a large hotel known as Dusit D2, banks and offices. Several vehicles are burning. People are being rushed and carried from the scene. Police spokesperson Charles Owino says that they've sent officers to the scene, including from the anti-terrorism unit, but so far they have no information. In the last hour, there has been information that Al-Shabaab has claimed the attack. A large group of women have been hurried out by security forces. One woman still in her curlers. Our correspondent Sarah Kimani tells us more. I managed to speak to one from the University of Nairobi. What he told me is that uh, he was just coming back from his evening classes and he had gunfire. And so two students, the entrance of the hotels, are shot and taken away by an ambulance to hospital. Uh, initially, other people saying that uh, they had uh, uh, the attackers came in, hurling uh, grenades into the hotel, uh, so scaring away the security officers and then beginning to shoot. Now, the area where the attack has happened is you call it a cosmopolitan, it is a, a high-end area in the country, uh, surrounded by uh, the University of Nairobi, part of the University of Nairobi. Uh, the Australian High Commission is uh, closed. Uh, we also have a lot of residential areas, high-rise buildings, um, and the time that it has happened is also quite something to note about. Today is the anniversary of the era day attack in which uh, uh, Kenyan troops in Somalia were attacked by Al-Shabaab militants. 
as yet we do not know who has carried out this attack. Uh, we are yet to get any information because it is still too early. What we know for sure is that uh, the seat B2 hotel in the capital Nairobi is under attack right now. What we can hear is gunfire. We can see a, a huge cloud of smoke belonging from the hotel. And also we can see a huge fire just at the entrance of the hotel. Sarah, just one thing. Do we know how many people have died yet? Uh, we still do not have uh, any figure of casualties. But I saw at least three people are uh, being evacuated from the hotel. One of them uh, had a wound on the face. It looked like a, a, a something had his face. Uh, he was screaming. Then we have, uh, I talked to a couple, uh, I suspect they were here on honeymoon, uh, holding on to their rosary. They had just been evacuated. And when I spoke to the young man, he said all he thought is that it was a terrorist attack and that he thinks the hotel is under attack. We still do not know the casualties or any fatalities from that hotel. That is our correspondent, Sarah Kimani, who is on the line from Nairobi in Kenya. In conversation there with my colleague Tracy Bumgard, it is 17.08 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulta Njoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Abari. Etise mache mingabo baoni kedu mbote ndemne bonsoir join me richard mwamba for a music show on channel africa called africa in song every saturday and sunday from 18 to 20 hours central african time africa in song saturday and sunday from 18 to 20 hours central african time the globe every second there's always a breaking story for channel africa radio in ethiopia's capital addis ababa reporting for channel africa i am hilda kekeloa it is 17.10 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. And let's go back to our developing story that's taking place in Nairobi, in Kenya, uh, where an upscale hotel complex in the capital Nairobi has been attacked with a blast and heavy gunfire. Um, we just saw a briefing by the Inspector General of Police, Joseph Boynet, and as he was giving an update on that. Now joining us on the line is James Shimanyula, who is our correspondent in Nairobi. Hello and thank you very much for joining us, uh, James. Um, did you get to listen in on Inspector General's uh, Boynet's um, press co- briefing? 
Yes, he has just spoken moments ago, and I have him on tape. So I think we are going to, our listeners will hear what he says. But in a nutshell, he says that investigations are going and police are trying to check on the suspected attackers who have been holed up in a cafeteria. So it looks like um, a, a replay of 2013 when things went silent and then they came to uh, the fact that uh, things were so bad inside there. And because of security reasons, the government has given warning citizens not to share a um, video or story from inside there. Um, uh, James, we are struggling with your line there a little bit. If you perhaps there isn't too much movement on your side, um, I'm sure it's a bit difficult as you are covering what is a story that's moving uh, pretty fast. Um, now, there have been reports that Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility. Is this true? James? All right, we seem to have lost our correspondent in Nairobi, in Kenya, James Shimanyula. They're telling us that um, an inspector general of police there in Kenya, who is uh, Joseph Boynet, has said that um, uh, police are going to check on the suspects who are held up currently in a cafeteria in Nairobi, in Kenya. He is saying that um, the he is saying that uh, the uh, uh, it's a sort of like a repeat of what took place in 2013. James, are you uh, are you still there? All right, we don't have James Shimanyula. We will try to get James back on the line to find out what the latest. We also saw reports in the last hour that um, Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility of that attack. Al-Shabaab is a terror group that comes from Somalia, which is a country that neighbors um, Kenya. And Al-Shabaab also claimed responsibility of the attack that took place in 2013 in, uh, in Nairobi, in Kenya. That attack having taken place on the Westgate shopping center in the same city. We are trying to get James on the line and we will get back to that as soon as we get James Shimanyula back on the line. Your time is 1714 Central African time. If you have any views about what's happening in Kenya, you can get in touch with us. We are on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. It is Channel Africa Numerical 1 on Twitter. You can also send us your emails. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za if you want to give us um, what uh, your views on what's taking place currently in Kenya. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. 
17.15 Central African time. Now, former Ivory Coast President Lorok Bakbo has been acquitted of all charges by the International Criminal Courts after seven years behind bars on charges of crimes against humanity. Judges at the court have delivered the eagerly awaited judgment after Bakbo's requests for an outright acquittal or conditional release. About 3,000 people were killed in the West African nation in a violent standoff during 2010 and 2011 when Bakbo refused to accept defeat in an election against his bitter rival and now Ivorian president Alassane Ouattara. Last year, former Congolese Vice President Jean-Pierre Bemba was also acquitted on appeal for crimes allegedly committed by his militia in the Central African Republic in 2002 and 2003. For more on this, Channel Africa's Zekona Miso spoke to Amal Nasser, representative of the International Federation for Human Rights in the Netherlands, who was in court when the judgment was handed down. Well, of course, our reaction is um, disappointment. Uh, we have been following this trial um, since it's, uh, it started, and we have also been following the situation in, in Ivory Coast and uh, at the national level. And we are disappointed to see that uh, justice has not been done at the International Criminal Court, uh, particularly given the fact that this acquittal comes on top of a presidential pardon that was passed uh, in December uh, 2018 for around 800 persons uh, implicated in the commission of the 2010-2011 post-electoral violence. So um, what that means is that persons implicated will not be held responsible at the national level. And as we have seen today, um, uh, they were were not, these two accused persons at the ICC were not held responsible at the ICC either. And what that leaves us with is, um, uh, as you said in your report, more than 3,000 persons were killed in the in the, in these violence uh, in these violent times and that leaves all these victims and their families without redress and without uh, justice now let's look at the key points of uh, the judgment amal um, which of course led to this particular decision try and unpack that for us that's uh, actually more complicated uh, than it should be because the decision is not made available yet the full decision has not been uh, published in writing yet mm. and uh, that is uh, because the judges felt it is um, it is more important to decide on the matter and yeah. uh, not keep those um, uh, who may who they found uh, not responsible for the crimes in detention when they're when the same chamber found them uh, not not guilty of these crimes they're charged with. So the full reasoning of the judges is not available yet, but the yeah. broad strokes of that judgment were pronounced in today's hearing. And essentially, what the judges uh, or the presiding judge rather told us is that uh, in their opinion or in and we have to note, of course, that this judgment uh, is made in majority. So two of the three judges formed this decision. Uh, what they find is that the prosecutor has failed in demonstrating that Gbagbo had a common policy or a plan uh, to commit these crimes that they are charged with. Uh, so it is not only important to prove that these crimes were committed, but to to also prove that these crimes were committed in in further in, in further policy to to commit these crimes or they have to be uh, linked to a, a pattern, a broader pattern um, that Gbagbo is responsible for. And they have also told us that the speeches, um, the judge told us today, the speeches that Gbagbo um, was giving in, in the post-electoral uh, period, the, the prosecutor failed to prove that these uh, 
speeches resulted in inciting or ordering or soliciting these crimes. Mm. Amal, we also understand that uh, prosecutors are, are going to be given a chance um, to have their say on the judgment uh, before Bakbo is freed. What are they expected to say? And we know that there were people also protesting outside the court. Uh, paint a picture of us around that. Yes, the prosecutor has the right to appeal and they were asked today if they are willing uh, to do to do that to do that um, and they the prosecutor outlined the complication of them willing to or wanting to appeal or deciding on, on whether they want to appeal a decision that is not available to them yet and uh, basically they said that for them to file a, 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 an appeal responsibly they need to have access to this decision uh, but indeed the people protesting um, outside the court and also in the public uh, gallery um, they they some of them were quite happy to see this decision coming they were chanting uh, uh, justice for for Gbagbo and, and some of them are quite enthusiastic to, to hear about the acquittal and the release of uh, Gbagbo and Blegode. Then you have the other half of the room who was quite concerned and um, disappointed. Amal Nasser is a representative of the International Federation for Human Rights on the line from The Hague in the Netherlands in conversation there with Zekona Miso. Now, the Constitutional Court in the Democratic Republic of Congo has started examining the appeal by Martin Fayulu, who has said that the results released last Thursday, which are provisional, were an electoral coup and is demanding a recount. Fayulu filed his appeal on Friday. The court has a week to study the request before giving its ruling, with the new president scheduled to be sworn in on 22 January. According to the Independent National Election Commission, or CENI, on Sunday, Southern African Development Community SADC, a bloc that includes Angola and South Africa, called for a unity government and urged a recount to provide the necessary reassurance to both winners and losers. For the latest, we're now joined on the line by our correspondent in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Noël Bamwenze. Hello and thank you very much uh, for joining us, Jean. What's the latest? What transpired in court? Yeah, um, I'm still here, the Constitutional Court, where um, uh, the hearing in uh, this uh, uh, Fayulu's appeal uh, just been suspended, uh, and it will resume on Friday. Uh, the, the, the decision to suspend the hearing has been taken after uh, the general prosecutor called on the constitution on the constitutional court uh, to uh, to i mean to reject to just reject the the, the uh, martin fayulu's request uh, since he has produced two similar requests and uh, one of these uh, uh, similar requests uh, 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 attributed him uh, eight eight million votes, and the other one attributed attributed him uh, eleven million votes. Uh, this was uh, looked at, first of all, as a, a confusion, uh, since it wouldn't allow the court to look into the case, to look into the evidence. And uh, uh, on the other side, uh, the uh, general prosecutor uh, 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 said that uh, Martin Fayulu didn't produce enough evidence showing that he was really the winner of last December election.
Mm. Um, last week, uh, we also heard the Catholic Church saying that its results showed uh, that um, Chisakedi did not win that election. What, uh, what has transpired since then, since that announcement by the Catholic Church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, uh, Catholic Church announcement has been uh, referred to uh, here uh, by the court, and uh, the only thing the court said is that uh, the Catholic Church doesn't have that uh, capacity, it doesn't have that authority uh, to say anything about uh, the result of uh, an election, since the only institution that is, uh, 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 I mean, that, 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 that has that that authority to um, uh, to declare uh, so and so winner is only the independent national electoral commission. The uh, Catholic Church uh, has been deployed as uh, uh, an observer, and the observer, the only thing the observer is supposed to do is to produce a report after it has been observed. I mean, I mean after it has it has had observed, uh, and uh, uh, to um, uh, to formulate recommendations. Um, what what has been uh, uh, seen is that the Catholic Church didn't even produce any report to the Independent National Electoral Commission and didn't even formulate any recommendation. So uh, the court said, uh, I mean, this uh, announcement of the Catholic Church is, is not even supposed to be looked into. Mm. Um, and what's the general sentiment like in the DRC? Um, are people generally siding with uh, Chisakedi and those that are saying he's the winner, or are people generally siding with Fayulu? Uh, up to now, the atmosphere is, is like there is a division. There is, a, um, a, I mean, one side that supports uh, the victory of uh, Felix Tshisekedi, and uh, the other side supporting, of course, the the, the victory of uh, Martin Fayulu. And uh, what we can realize is that uh, most of uh, opponents. Most of opponents are behind Martin Fayulu. Uh, while you know uh, uh, Ma- Ma- Martin Fayulu, uh, Martin Fayulu's coalition, uh, uh, well known as Namuka, uh, was I mean is made by different uh, different uh, platforms and uh, parties, including the um, uh, movement of uh, Liberation of Congo of Jean-Pierre Bemba and uh, this uh, ensemble pour le changement of uh, Moses Katumbi. While, uh, uh, as you know it very well, these two uh, political leaders are really uh, very, very form, uh, famous here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. While uh, the Tisekedi's um, uh, 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 coalition, known as Cap pour le changement, is made only by two, two political parties, and that's his own party, the EPS, and uh, Vital Kamara's party, the UNC. Uh, so uh, this Tshisekedi's uh, 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 victory is, uh, uh, I mean, has brought a serious division here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm. Um, and in court today, um, who was there? Were supporters of both uh, coalitions there, or was it just Fayulu supporters? Yeah, here in here at uh, the uh, constitutional 
uh, court, uh, as I'm talking to you now, I can even still see um, um, uh, supporters of both sides, uh, uh, supporters of uh, the uh, Namuka coalition of uh, Martin Fayulu and the supporters of uh, the cap pool changement of uh, Felix Chisekedi. And uh, both sides, uh, I mean, uh, Martin Fayulu uh, w- uh, w- was not present in, pr- I mean, personally, he was not personally uh, present. Uh, and uh, Felix Tshisekedi, who is now looked at, I mean, who's, who has now been declared uh, uh, as the provisional president, was not there as well. But both sides, both, uh, I mean, both sides were represented by um, uh, uh, teams of lawyers. Uh, how long is this process going to take now? Yeah, uh, according to the law, since they have uh, they have heard uh, uh, the uh, I mean Martin Fayulu's side, they have heard uh, Felix Tshisekedi's side, they have heard uh, uh, the Independent National Electoral Commission that was invited to be heard as uh, experts, and the um, uh, the general prosecutor has given his uh, his view on the case. Uh, the this now is suspended for 48 hours. This means uh, it has to resume on Friday, according to the law. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot to you, too. All right. So that is our correspondent in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Noël Bamwenze. They're giving us an update on what has transpired in court today as the court in the constitutional court, rather, has the court has started examining an appeal by Martin Fayulu, who has said that the results released last Thursday, saying that his opponent, Felix Chisekedi, is the winner, um, are an electoral coup, and Fayulu is demanding a recount. It is now time for news headlines. Here's on Elencinti. Militant group Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for the attack on the hotel and office complex in Nairobi, Kenya. The ICC in The Hague has acquitted Ivory Coast's ex-president, Lauren Bagbo, of all charges, and the situation remains tense in Zimbabwe as angry protesters continue to vent their frustrations over the massive hike in fuel prices. Channel African News, I am Onelin Zinzi. It is 17.30 Central African time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, there is a heavy police presence on Zimbabwean streets as more violence is expected on day two of the national shutdown. Angry protesters in Zimbabwe's capital, Harare, barricaded roads and burned tires yesterday after President Mnangagwa announced a massive fuel price hike. In Bulawayo, police fired tear gas to disperse hundreds of protesters Reports have suggested that five people have sustained gunshot wounds following the unrest. Nangagwa announced over the weekend a more than 100% rise in the price of petrol and diesel. The president is currently overseas. He is on a state visit to Russia and has not said that he will be cutting that visit short. More from Zimbabwe-based senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, Derek Maitzak. 
the social protest and social unrest was certainly expected. The economy has been on the slide for quite some time now, and all workers' salaries have been seriously eroded. They currently purchasing about a, a third of what they were about a year ago. So some sort of uh, protests were expected, and of course the more than doubling of the fuel price hike was basically the spark uh, that uh, fell on a very volatile situation already. Now, what have been uh, the thoughts of of yourselves at uh, the Institute for Security Studies around the reasoning behind uh, this uh, whopping increase? In real US dollar terms, the the fuel price has not in fact increased. What in fact has been happening is that the government has been subsidizing the fuel allowing fuel to be sold in electronic Mm. money, which Mm. is worth about a third of the value of the real U.S. dollars. And because of that price distortion, because in real U.S. dollars fuel was being sold at about 40, 45 cents, um, that's opened the door to a lot of corruption, a lot of room for arbitrage. And, of course, when you're selling a product at a sub-economic price, it's going to disappear, and that's precisely what happened. So to try and arrest the situation, which was clearly unsustainable, government decided to increase the fuel price by about uh, 250%. But that's not sustainable for the people that uh, are being paid in electronic dollars. They They don't have that kind of money to pay for fuel, so they basically can't get to work. So this is what caused the outbreak of violence and the demonstrations and the uh, heighten the level of anger of the common person in Zimbabwe. Mm. Now, President Nangagwa at the moment, Derek, is in Moscow on a five-nation uh, trip abroad. Um, should he be cancelling his trip at this time? And is this something that's really um, going to almost test his leadership style at this time? It will certainly test his leadership style because Monangagwa is not only committed to opening up Zimbabwe's economy, he's also committed to opening up Zimbabwe's political space and obviously open political space should allow for demonstrations to take place. So the heavy-handed approach uh, that we are currently seeing to these demonstrations uh, is sort of indicative that Munangagwa is lapsing back into a Mugabe style of governance. Protests are, are crushed. We've seen the use of live ammunition on the streets, which is never acceptable as a response to demonstrations. Certainly, the demonstrators have not been demonstrating in accordance with the Constitution. The demonstrations have been violent. There has been a destruction of property, the burning of vehicles, etc. But normal crowd control measures should be used to contain these demonstrations, not the deployment of the military and certainly not the use of live ammunition. So this is very much a test of how the security sector deals with this sort of thing, and they're not passing the test at the moment. Mm. And as someone who is actually living in Zimbabwe at the moment, uh, would you kindly paint a picture for us um, of how things are looking in terms of just day-to-day living? I mean, uh, as we hear things, it it really is quite a bleak picture that has been painted uh, with the prices of basic goods just spiraling out of control, uh, medical supplies, and uh, are short. Just uh, sort of um, explain to us what it's like um, for day-to-day uh, as Zimbabwean living. Well, day-to-day living is incredibly difficult in Zimbabwe. You know, the, in South Africa, you expect when you turn on a, a tap in your sink, you yeah. expect water to come out. Mm. That doesn't happen. People, even in, in urban areas, people are having to 
to walk several kilometers to a neighbor, to, to fill up a plastic container to get some water to get them through the day. There's not enough water to bath or shower properly. And of course, there's no fuel. I personally have no fuel in my vehicles. I haven't been out today because I don't have a means of moving other than through public transport. Public transport has been closed down. Mm. And you can spend an entire day in a, in a fuel queue. You know, and I, don't, I certainly don't have eight hours to spend in a fuel queue, and I'm sure other people don't. So all your productive time has been spent on activities that should actually take about five minutes uh, to accomplish. And it's all these kind of frustrations that you encounter. Very simple things uh, become extremely time-consuming. And at the end of the day, you may not achieve what you set out to do. You can spend eight hours in a fuel queue only to find that the fuel has run out by the time you get to the, the front of the queue. So the levels of anger are extremely high. There have been fistfights at the fuel queues, etc. And it just adds to stress levels for uh, already heavily burdened uh, mm. populace who are uh, struggling economically. And uh, um, just before we let you go, of course, there are a lot to discuss around this. But um, what would be the ideal way forward, you know, in terms of the powers that be and the actions that or the action that they need to take at this time, uh, particularly considering what you've already highlighted as an economy that is struggling immensely? Well, the, unfortunately, the economic problem was created some time ago, and there's not really any solution to the economic problem at the moment. The economy can uh, will inevitably slide further down the the chute, Um, eventually the economy will dollarize and then start to recover or re-dollarize, I should say, and then maybe start to recover. But there's going to be a lot of pain felt along the way and a lot of people are going to suffer considerable hardships as their salaries further erode. That was a Zimbabwe-based senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, Derek Matijak, on the line with my colleague Zikona Miso earlier today. Now, South Africa's Higher Education Ministry says it's all systems go for the 2019 academic year. As it stands, the National Student Financial Aid Scheme has been able to provide funding to over 300,000 students, while those from poor working-class families will receive free education. The department's media liaison officer, Langa Ngang, Explains. We are, as the Department of Higher Education and Training, uh, uh, prepared for the start of the academic year. Uh, since uh, registration started uh, in most uh, TVET colleges as well as in some universities last week, we have not yet uh, received any sort of a negative uh, outcome in terms of uh, the way the, the registration is, is proceeding. In instances where there has been uh, challenges like uh, in UNISA, uh, the department was able to intervene and um, as from this week, uh, the university has gone back to normality and uh, we are hoping as the registration uh, continues uh, we will not be uh, seeing any of the uh, challenges that would require uh, the department to intervene. The department stands ready to intervene where there are challenges. Talk to us about funding of the students. At the moment we know that the National Student Financial Aid Scheme has been able to provide over 300,000 students with funding. What about now the free education uh, program that is specifically to provide support to uh, students who are from poor and working class uh, families? 
as you've correctly said, um, from the time the minister appointed the administrator, Dr. Randall Carlson, there has been a significant improvement in a way that uh, NESFAS uh, functions. You will recall that uh, late last year uh, when uh, NESFAS closed the applications for 2019, it was standing at uh, over 410,000 uh, applications. Uh, which by uh, December uh, most of them uh, have already been uh, looked into and that people who had applied have been told uh, the outcome. That's continues to work in terms of the remaining, uh, which are very few, uh, in terms of confirming uh, the funding. But uh, we are quite happy uh, with the progress that it's making as the Department of Higher Education and Training. In as far as the issue of the free fee education, uh, you will also uh, note that, uh, of course, it's for the people that come from poor and working class families whose combined uh, income is uh, 350,000. And uh, these are the new applicants uh, that we received uh, from last year. And of course, we are continuing this year with those that started with uh, the new um, setup uh, last year uh, to continue uh, for them to continue receiving the free education, uh, those who are qualifying. So it will be, as it was said, uh, implemented over a couple of years, uh, which is about five years, up until the cohort that started last year uh, The minister has recently called for, uh, among others, the scraping of registration fees in institutions of higher learning and also discouraging work-ins. Is this something that universities or Tivert colleges are, are complying with? We are discouraging uh, walk-ins into institutions. We are asking students to rather use uh, an online service uh, which we have made available at the Department of Higher Education and Training. Uh, the three ways in which the students can be able to access uh, or register their name uh, is through e- going to an internet and uh, go to www.catch, which is C-A, ch.dhet.gov.za. Alternatively, they can call um, our call center, but the third way is through an SMS, which is um, you just SMS your name and the number to 49200. We prepare uh, and the enrollment plans for the universities and private colleges AA in advance. By now, the universities know how many students and uh, already have taken the students that they require. Uh, this service is meant for uh, some of the areas that still uh, are able to take more students. Going to an institution it, uh, will not uh, guarantee you any space. Uh, it exposes students to uh, situations that uh, they find themselves being robbed and so on. In instances where uh, universities can no longer accept applications, uh, of course some can no longer do that due to their capacity, are we seeing young people alternatively applying at Tivert colleges or is there still that stigma of colleges not being so attractive as compared to universities? 
Look, in, in our first choices, of course, not to uh, have students applying uh, only because they cannot get into universities. Uh, we want to make the Tivet colleges uh, a number one choice uh, for students, and not that not only those that have not passed uh, adequately, but the best of the class uh, of 2018 uh, must apply for colleges. Uh, it is uh, disappointing to the minister that uh, of this. 4,000 plus, uh, 400,000 plus uh, students who applied for NESFAS, only about 25% uh, when we closed the applications we had applied for TVET colleges. Uh, but we are hoping with our communications and students will begin to see the value of uh, TVET colleges. Lunga Mangelele there is Midela as an officer at the Department of Higher Education talking to Kumuto Mopulane. It is 17.43 Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Remember that if you want to give us feedback on any of the stories you've heard right here on Channel Africa or if you want to tell us what's happening in your part of Africa, you can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za on email that is info at channelafrica.co.za You can also tweet us. We are on Channel Africa 1. That's numerical 1, so it's Channel Africa 1. If you want to WhatsApp us, plus 2776-300-3327. Plus 2776-300-3327. It is now time for your economic news. Here's Tracy Pumgott. Thank you. Zimbabweans are accusing President Emerson Mnangagwa of failing to live up to pre-election promises to kickstart growth in the country as fuel price protests continue. Earlier, a helicopter fired tear gas to disperse protesters in a township in Zimbabwe's capital, Harare. Social media and phone lines have been closed down as a national shutdown enters its second day. At least three people have been killed after police allegedly used live ammunition against protesters. Effort Musikiwa reports. It's terrible. It's been very difficult to get information out. The internet has been blocked. There is no social media. You can't access uh, or you can't send information on WhatsApp. You can't send information on Twitter. You can't send information on Facebook. They've literally blocked on all platforms. We really are battling to get information across or just to communicate with the outside world, save for voice calls. And even the voice calls, they are congested that most of the time it's very difficult to get through to someone who's standing literally next to you. Mnangagwa is currently on an investment trip abroad. Reports have emerged that the Opposition Movement for Democratic Change's offices in Harare were set alight last night. As more violence is expected on the Zimbabwean streets, if at Musikiwa again. We've actually just spoken to the MDC national spokesperson, Jacob Mafume. We do also understand that their headquarters was petrol bombed last night. 
and they are calling on Sadak to intervene. They say that uh, the same intervention that uh, Sadak is trying to do for the DRC should apply to Zimbabwe as well. There shouldn't be a double standards of application of standards. So really, uh, it's only the MDC up to now that has spoken to us. We've been to the um, office of the vice president, but they are locked in meetings, so we still haven't received any official communication from the government as of now. Sibanya Stillwater Man in South Africa says contingency plans are in place to minimize the possible impact of a strike at its platinum operations next week. Chief Executive Neil Fernman says Sibanya is preparing for the planned strike. The Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, AMCU, announced that it is planning to strike at the company's local platinum operations, expanding an earlier stoppage affecting its gold facilities. The new strike would begin on January 22nd and involve around 12,500 of its members. Communal farmers in the areas in Limpopo, South Africa, affected by the outbreak of food and mouth disease, say they are battling to raise tuition fees for their children following a ban on the trade of cattle in their villages. More than 1,000 cattle farmers in the Vembe district cannot trade their livestock until the disease is contained. Farmers say it's unfortunate that the outbreak came at a time when they usually sell some of their livestock in order to cover their children's school registration fees. Giannio Matida is the president of African Farmers Association of South Africa in Limpopo. When there is this restriction and about this uh, foot and mouth disease, the money that they used to receive, which they use it for education, especially now school has opened. Now they've got a challenge because they have no money. The animals have been all been restricted, so they cannot get a license to slaughter them. So in other words, financially, they are heavily uh, affected. This on its own, it means uh, they are really suffering because most of our communal farmers, livestock is like their bank. So it's like their bank is currently closed. J.P. Morgan Chase has reported a lower-than-expected quarterly profit. Shares of the largest U.S. bank by assets fell 3% in early trading as the lender posted declines in revenue in three of its four main businesses in the fourth quarter. Trading desks at banks have been shaken by global growth concerns and the ongoing trade war between the United States and China, with bank stocks underperforming the S&P 500 index in 2018 by 13%. The U.S. dollar is trading at 363.63 Nigerian Naira, 10.31 Botswana Pula, at 100.71 Kenyan Shillings, and at 11.87 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.70 Brazilian Hail, 67.03 Russian Ruble, 70.56 Indian Rupee, 6.76 Chinese Yuan, and a 13.80 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,291 and platinum at $800 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $59.73 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Thank you very much, Tracy. It is 1750 Central African time. Neto Chimane is here with your sports news.
Thank you, Spomelele. A very good evening to all sports fans. Starting off with cricket news. Manu Soni, the former managing director of ESPN Star Sports, has been appointed as International Cricket Council's ICC new chief executive. The sports governing body announced this afternoon. Soni will join the ICC next month before formally taking over the reins from David Richardson, whose contract expires at the end of the World Cup in July. Indian born Soni was the anonymous choice following a global recruitment process led by the ICC chairman Shashank Manoha and the nominations committee. Former Singapore Sports Hub Chief Executive Sony is also a non-Chief Executive Director and member of the Audit Committee at the English Premier League Soccer Club Manchester United. On to tennis news. World number four Naomi Osaka easily took care of Magda Lynette of Poland in the first round of the Australian Open on Tuesday. The 2018 US Open champion won the tie 6-4-6-2. It was eight consecutive wins at Grand Slam level for Osaka and asked why she loves Australia. The Japanese had this to say. Um, well, you guys are always really friendly, um, and I don't talk much, so it's pretty easy to like have a conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, um, everyone's really nice here, so I just love coming. Um, it's really hot, and I like to sweat. So. <laughs> On to soccer news. South African soccer legend Philemon Chipamasinga will be given a provincial official funeral when he is laid to rest in Tlaxdop in the northwest province next week Thursday. The National Sports Ministry confirmed this afternoon that the request for a provincial official funeral has been sent to President Cyril Ramaphosa and it is expected to be given the green light. Sports Ministry spokesman William Hanga said it will be in no time until South Africans are brought into confidence that the request has been approved by the president. The family has also indicated that the memorial service will be held in Johannesburg on Friday, January the 18th, and another one will be held in Northwest next Tuesday. South African Absa Premiership Club Orlando Pirates will play defending CAF Champions League champions Esperance of Tunisia in an empty stadium when they meet in the group stages next month. The Confederation of African Football announced on Monday night that Esperance were being punished for their fans' behavior in last year's Champions League final against Al-Akhli, so they will play two matches behind closed doors. The Tunisian Giants beat eight-time winners Al-Akhli 4-3 on aggregate, completing a stunning come back after they lost the first leg 3-1. Ahead of the second leg against the Egyptian powerhouse in raids, the home team supporters attacked the Al-Ahli bus as it was heading to the match venue. The other game, Esperance are due to play behind closed doors, will be against Zimbabwean Giants side FC Platinum this coming weekend. On to Netball News. Netball South Africa President Cecilia Molokwane says transformation in the sport should happen in all areas. The Proteas are currently in England for the Quad Series, where they lost to Australia in the first match on Sunday. The team has five black players in the 15-woman squad for the series. The Proteas will also play against England on Saturday and New Zealand on Sunday. Molokwane is hoping for more black players in the near future. Look, um... I'm happy that you've mentioned that. And I'm happy that you've also mentioned the fact that they are not in the team because of their black. They are in the team because of the, the performance that they've shown through the brutal food and through other championships that we played around the country. 
Mulokwan is also hoping that transformation extended to other areas of the sport, such as with umpires and administrators and coaches. There are now two black umpires in the professional ranks. Black coaches in the professional ranks are also very few. Even even in the umpiring section, you have seen now now we've got two PIDs of, of, of color, of black, that we never had before in South Africa. We came in last year, we put a target and we followed the target. And this year again, when we sit down as an executive to put our targets, we'll put same other targets for, for, for transformation of coaches, transformation of players, transformation of umpires, transformation of technical people. Because it cannot only be focused on players. It should be a transformation that is done everywhere. Even in the executives of of associate members, executives of our districts, of our provinces, it should be shown and it should reflect what it should be done and how it's wanted in this country. Stay tuned on Channel Africa for programming news and sport from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chamani. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.56 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. And let's recap our top stories. Kenya is under what is now a terror attack that's been claimed by Al-Shabaab. Zimbabwe continues to be on fire as authorities shut down the internet. And with that, we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour from myself, Spumelele Zondi, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Dumelo Mugwena, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. Send your emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. And WhatsApp, we are on plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven plus two seven seven six three hundred double three two seven. Tweet us on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Linda by Shava. Mawuchelo, Chasupe, Mubaba Kaumas, 
Yeah. 